today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. How many times have I fought the Lord and unnecessarily prolonged the discipline of the Lord? Had I but just let the Lord discipline me, I would have so much sooner tasted from the cup of His mercy and His grace. And we oftentimes refer to and define mercy as God. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Isaiah. If you're a parent like me, there are times a child acts out and you give warning after warning. Eventually, we learn just to cut to the chase and discipline the child. The same goes for receiving the Lord's correction. As Pastor J.D. shares in today's study, instead of learning our lesson the hard way, take the Lord's correction early. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah chapter 60 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. So if you replace the Israel with the church, now all of a sudden there's no Israel. And now you got the church instead, so what are you going to do with the temple? Oh, we'll just make the body the temple. So there's no temple in the seven-year tribulation, the third temple as we refer to it. Well, now you got an even bigger problem, because as we're about to read here in chapter 60, there's actually going to be a temple in the millennium. How about that? What do you do about that? Replacement theology, false teacher? Uh, I, my Bible says there's going to be a temple in the tribulation that the Antichrist is going to commit the abomination that causes desolation. That's a literal temple. I can see why you're doing that. You're twisting it into a pretzel prophetically, because if you replace Israel with the church, then you got to deal with a lot of problems, <laughs> a lot of prophecies, a lot of passages of Scripture, and this is one of them. What are you going to do about the temple? Well, we'll just make that the body. So now follow through with me on this. If, the, if there's no temple, that means that the abomination that causes desolation is going to take place in the human body, because we're the temple. Now, nice try though. That's pretty smooth, actually. I'll, gi- I'll give you that. It's a literal temple in Israel, because God is not through with the Jew. I won't go that, I, I think, did I do that last week? The whole rap about God is not through with the Jew, nor do we want Him to be through with the Jew, because He has a covenant with me and you too. And if God is through with the Jew, I'll give you the brief version. If God, if God is through with the Jew, then how secure are you? Because He has a covenant with me and you too. And if He's through with the Jew, then, and He has a covenant with the Jew, which by the way is an everlasting covenant. Last time I checked, everlasting means everlasting. I know deeply profound, but God's got a covenant with the Jew, and He has a covenant with me and you too. And if God is through with the Jew, then how secure are you? We don't want God to be through with the Jew. He has a plan for Israel. 
And by the way, I'll say it again, I hope you don't tire me saying it, but the purpose of the tribulation is for the salvation of the Jewish nation. And this is another problem that these replacement theology people have. It's a huge problem. Because if you replace Israel with the church, then you put the church into the tribulation, which is why they have to do that if they kind of play fast and loose with the sound doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture. Because if you place the rapture anywhere but at the beginning, prior to the seven-year tribulation, then you thrust the church into the seven-year tribulation. And that's not the purpose of the seven-year tribulation. We're already saved. The purpose of the tribulation is for the salvation of the Jewish nation. It's the 70th week of Daniel. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob, Israel, not the church. We're not in trouble. (laughs) Israel's in trouble. They owe God that last week, that 70th seven. They owe God that. And God's going to make them make good on that. And that's what that 70th week is, that period of seven years. It is for Israel and for the salvation of Israel. I don't want to, oh, we got to get moving here. We're only to verse 3. Stop doing that. (laughs) Verse 4, lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then, verse 5, you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be Turn to you, and here it is again, the wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. Wow. This is the ultimate fulfillment of Israel's restoration, which will come after the horrors of the seven-year tribulation. Doubtless you've heard that saying, that it's always the darkest right before the light. You know, right before the sun comes up in the morning, that is the darkest time of the night, right before the light. And this is one of those principles, you see it replete throughout the pages of Holy Writ, that that tribulation, that period of darkness always comes before the light. Verse 6, the multitude of camels. I just think camels are hideous, and I'm an Arab, and I shouldn't probably feel that way. But you know, whenever we go to Israel, for those of you, and and some of you have actually asked me, why don't you ride the camels? You will never get me on a camel. I mean, maybe on the millennium. Of course, I will glorify a body. I won't need to, but no, they are hideous. They are hideous animals. I know God created them, and I know, anyway, let's move on. Enough of, again, my problems. The multitude of camels shall cover your land. The dromedaries of Median and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar, verse 7, shall be gathered together to you. The rams of Neboth shall minister to you. They shall ascend with acceptance on my altar, and I will glorify the house of my glory. That's the temple. That's the temple. This is a reference to the temple during the millennium, which begs the question of, wait a minute, 
why would you need a temple? The, the, the sacrifices are done. The atonement is complete. Well, when you get to Ezekiel chapter 40, I don't know that we'll ever get to Ezekiel, but let's just say that we do when we get to chapter 40. Actually, chapters 40 through, well, really to 44, but even to chapter 47, we have great detail about this millennial temple. It is a literal temple during the millennium. And many believe that it will be for a commemoration and celebration of Christ's finished work of atonement on the cross. Because it's finished, there's no need for any sacrifices or for the purpose of atonement, but it is believed that there will be a temple during the millennium, and the temple will be there as a commemoration and celebration of what Jesus did. Verse 8, Who are these who fly like a cloud, and like doves to their roosts? Surely, verse 9, the coastlands shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar their silver and their gold with them, to the name of the Lord your God, and to the Holy One of Israel, because He has glorified you. This is what I like to refer to as the why behind the what. And this in the sense of, They do what they do. Why? Because God has been glorified in and through Israel. It's not because of Israel. No, it's for the glory of the Holy One of Israel. See, in the end, this will be for God's glory. And God is glorified. I think about the Apostle Paul when he writes to the Corinthians, very open, about what he refers to as a thorn in the flesh, which is not identified by God's design, because if God deemed it necessary to identify what this thorn in the flesh was, we would either A, dismiss it, because that's not something we struggle with, or B, it would be only for those who struggle with whatever that thorn in the flesh that was identified was. So it's kept very generic so that we can fill in the blank with its application to our own lives. And many, (laughs) there's no shortage of opinions as to what the thorn in the flesh was. And certainly I'm not going to join that speculation because the purpose of that thorn in Paul's flesh, whatever it was, was to keep him completely reliant upon the Lord, so that in the end only the Lord would get the glory. See, no flesh will glory in His presence. And so all that God is going to do for Israel, specifically during the kingdom age, will be for His glory. The glory of not Israel, but the Holy One of Israel, because He is the one that receives all the glory. Verse 10, the sons of foreigners 
shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath, listen to this, I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Ah, we need to maybe talk about verse 10 for just a moment. Um, sometimes we do err greatly when we misunderstand, misinterpret the heavy hand of the Lord in our lives, when He chastises us, when He disciplines us, when He gives us a good spiritual spanking, if you prefer. And we understand and misunderstand it as maybe God is mad at me, through with me. It's not that He's mad at you or through with you. No, He loves you. And we just got done talking about this in the book of Hebrews. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord because He chastens those whom He loves. That's how you know you're His children. Because you as a parent are not going to spank somebody else's children, right? You know that (laughs) <laughs> that's their child, because look, they're spanking them. They wouldn't be spanking some. There, there may be times where you want to spank someone else's children, but that's how you know that you're a child of God, is because He disciplines you. It's because He loves you. I wish there was another way that God could demonstrate His love. You know, as parents, when we discipline our children, we always say things to them, and like they, like they get it, you know? Like, this is going to hurt me a lot more, and it's going to hurt you. Really? Why don't we spare both of us the hurt? You don't have to do this if it's going to hurt you more. Or how about this one? I'm doing this because I love you. If I didn't love you, I would not do this. And to which the child is like, can you just love me less <laughs> so you don't have to do this as much? Think about it like this. <laughs> Somebody you don't care about, so what? You don't care. It's the people you love the most. Those are the ones. And, and so too is this true with our Heavenly Father, more so, infinitely more so. So He in His favor is having mercy on them. Maybe you're here tonight or watching online and you've kind of been feeling the heavy hand of the Lord in your life. Don't let the enemy lie to you. Don't believe that lie that God is mad at you or God is through with you. No. God loves you. God's disciplining you. He's chastising you. He's correcting you. He's redirecting you. Don't despise it. Don't fight it. It makes it worse anyway, right? makes it take longer anyway. Oh my goodness, how many times when God was disciplining me. Of course, this is many years ago. I'm perfect now as the pastor, but (laughs) is there a lightning bolt coming down here somewhere? How many times have I fought the Lord and unnecessarily prolonged the discipline of the Lord? Had I but just let the Lord discipline me, I would have so much sooner tasted from the cup of His mercy and His grace. And we oftentimes refer to and define mercy as God 
not giving us what we do deserve, and grace being that which God gives us that we don't deserve. And if you're anything like me, and I suspect that you are, I'll take both. Thank you very much. Both His grace and His mercy. But sometimes God in His mercy, we don't see it like this, we don't think of it like this, but sometimes that that chastisement, that discipline, that heavy hand of the Lord is the mercy of God in your life. He is being merciful to you. Verse 11, therefore, this is a really interesting description. Your gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut day or night. And here's why, that men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in procession. For the nation, verse 12, and kingdom which will not serve you shall perish. And those nations shall be utterly ruined. It gets better, (laughs) sort of, actually not. Verse 13, the glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the pine, and the box tree together, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. Also, the sons, verse 14, of those who afflicted you shall come bowing to you, and all those who despised you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet. And they shall call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Wow, I can't wait. I want to be there for this. Am I reading this right? In other words, there's coming a time in the millennium when all those who persecuted Israel, and there's a lot who have persecuted Israel, will bow down to Israel. They will fall prostrate at the soles of the feet, and they will call Israel the city of the Lord, Zion, the Holy One, of Israel. Real quick thought on this before we move on. This is kind of gnarly, I guess, for lack of a better word. I know that's a very 80s word, but it's the best I got, so deal with it. It is thought that this could be a reference to, during the tribulation, how people, nations, treat Israel. You know, in uh, I want to say it's Matthew's Gospel, you'll forgive me, I, I can't off the top of my head remember the exact chapter, you might know it, but it's where Jesus says, you know, whatever you did for the least of these, you did to me. Oh, I think it's chapter 7, in fact it's a rebuke, because they're just astonished when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity, and they protest, they're like, what are you talking about? We cast out demons in your name. We fed the poor in your name. We did miracles in your name. We did all of these things. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. And then he also goes on later to say that whatever you do for the least of these, my brethren, that's the Jews, 
you do to me, for me. So it could be, I don't know, I guess we'll find out soon enough, but if it's here in God's Word, it's going to happen. During the millennium, all of those that persecuted and despised Israel will bow down to Israel. Verse 15, whereas you have been forsaken and hated, the most hated people on the face of the earth in the history of mankind. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, so that no one went through you, I will make you an eternal excellence, a joy of many generations. You shall drink the milk of the Gentiles, and milk the breast of kings. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Hang on to that for just a moment. Verse 17, instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. And instead of stones, iron. I will also make your officers peace and your magistrates righteousness. Violence, verse 18, shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders, but... I like this. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Oh, I like the sounds of that. I like this a lot. Now I realize it speaks to this transformation that will take place yet future concerning Israel, ultimately fulfilled in the millennium, and again, for the purpose of God being glorified. Uh, you know, I think about Ezekiel 38, a prophecy, again, yet future, very a well-known prophecy about this alliance of nations that invades Israel to take a spoil. Many believe it will take place after the rapture. Uh, we don't know. We can't know for sure. But there is this prophecy in Ezekiel 38, yet future, when Russia, Iran, Turkey, and this alliance of nations, oh, by the way, breaking news this last week. Uh, did you hear about this? Russia and Iran are joining together with China for a military, oh, with the, <laughs> oh man, it's, oh, I wish I could. But God, when you get to the end of this prophecy in Ezekiel 38, God declares, these, by the way, this is throughout again Scripture. He says, I'm going, I got this. That's a very loose paraphrase, but basically that's what he's saying. I, I, got, I got you. I got you. They are going to suffer a devastating defeat, and it will be swift. Some Bible scholars and commentators believe it will take place within a period of about 24 hours. And it's game over, not for Israel, but for this alliance of nations that invades Israel. So they come against Israel, and God says, just, I got this, watch me now. And he defeats them and destroys them, and it is a decisive defeat. I mean decisive defeat. So there's no mistake, there's no question, there's no, hmm, I wonder if it was because, nope. 
Yeah, but what about the idea? Nope. Yeah, but Israel's is very advanced. Nope. You know why? Because <laughs> I did it. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. We hope you continue to be encouraged as you learn some good things from the book of Isaiah. Did you realize that there are 39 chapters in Isaiah that address judgment and 27 chapters that point to God's salvation? How fascinating that this book relates to 39 books of the Old Testament, much about judgment of sin, and 27 books of the New Testament, pointing to Jesus as God's salvation for the world. Isaiah is yet another example of how God interweaves the old with the new, and how prophecies from old point to fulfillment of that later. Are you seeing the connections that God has written into these pages of Isaiah? If you're wanting to hear this message again or more like it, you can find them at calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, you can learn more about the church this ministry is supported by, Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. If you're not already plugged into a local church, we invite you to be part of our church family. If you're in or near the Kaneohe area, we'd love for you to come visit us on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times and directions on our website. Again, that's calvarychapelkaneohe.com. We're so glad you tuned in today to learn from the book of Isaiah. We look forward to the next edition with Pastor J.D. and the things that God has put on his heart to share from this prophetic book. Thanks again for listening today to In Spirit and Truth.